0: All right, well, good evening, Romans chapter 8, we will be beginning at verse 26, but we'll have a reading from the chapter, and so when you turn there, Romans chapter 8, and then would you please stand as we read the word of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Father we thank you so much for your word we thank you Lord so much for your grace we thank you so much Lord for your involvement in our lives how beautiful it is God to know that you see us and you know where we're at tonight. You know uh, exactly everything on our hearts and on our minds. And, and you're here tonight to minister to us through your word by your spirit. And you're here to uh, just minister to us. And so Lord, we look to you, we look to your word, and we look to your spirit, God, to do that work within our lives, God. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise In your name we pray, amen. Please be seated. The book of Romans is about the gospel of the grace of God. The grace of God is all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, it's the good news that God loves man and God cares for man and God has made provision for man, for man to be forgiven and brought back into fellowship with God. It's the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, his freely given gifts, the gift of his son, the gift of his spirit, that he's here to help, that he's here to assist, He's here to supply us with our daily needs and he desires to bless us more than we desire to be blessed. His hand is outstretched to us, desiring to touch us and minister to us. He's not reluctant, he's not distant, he's not afar off, he's here tonight, he's present, and he knows what's going on in your life and he wants to minister to you. And our part is simply to receive that gift by faith and just receiving from him his love and his care, and he's such a good God. And here in Romans chapter eight, we read that God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was a quote by the uh, T.J. Uh, Bach. He writes this, the Holy Spirit longs to reveal to you the deeper things of God. He longs to love through you. He longs to work through you. Through the blessed Holy Spirit, you may have strength for every duty, wisdom for every problem, comfort in every sorrow, joy, in his overflowing service. And as we sojourn through this world, and as we wait with patient hope for heaven's glory, we have the help of the Holy Spirit to guide us in our prayer lives concerning the will of God. You notice there in verse 26, and that's what we'll pick up tonight. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. That word helps there is a word picture of someone helping another carry a heavy load, lending a helping hand to help. And the word weaknesses there speaks of infirmities or meaning weaknesses, a need for strength in the realm of spiritual things. And the context here is needing help and knowing God's will and how to pray for God's will in a situation. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches, and that's God the Father, searches the hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit is able to intercede for us, and more than able, he desires to intercede for us in our prayer lives according to the will of God. And how does he do that? Well, when we don't know what to pray for, for ourselves, or if a brother, sister in the Lord comes to us and says, I'd like some prayer, and they lay out this heavy trip. I mean, just this trial that you, you just, it takes all the air out of the room, kind of a trial. And all you can do is just, You just you you can't formulate in your mind, uh, you know, a prayer. You don't know God's heart in the situation. You don't know if that job loss is there because God wants to bring that person into a deeper relationship with God. And they want a job, but you know, God wants them to come to Him in a deeper way. Or there's a financial loss, or there's something going on, and they come to you in prayer, or you experience it for yourself, and you're just like the Holy Spirit takes that groaning as God searches our hearts. He interprets that groaning, brings it to the very heart of God, and God interprets it as the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and prays in accordance with the will of God for our lives and for those that we pray for. There's a beauty in that. I don't know how to pray sometimes. It's just, God. And the Holy Spirit takes it into the heart of God. And I know and I have the confidence that God's will will be accomplished in my life through that groaning. It's a beautiful thing just to sometimes let out a groan. You go for that walk. You go for that drive. You say, God, you know where I'm at. but, uh, And there's the confidence that he knows exactly. What he wants to do in the situation, and that through that groaning, you've opened up your heart to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in this thing, no matter what you have to do in order to accomplish it. The Holy Spirit intercedes for our groanings, and he intercedes for us according to the will of God. I know sometimes when I pray, you can pray for a long time, you can do a lot of groaning. It just seems like heaven is silent. It's like your prayer and just it bounces off the ceiling and right back at you. And you're just thinking, you know, is anyone up there? And there's an encouragement tonight from the word of God that I want to bring to you in regards to prayer. And it's found in Exodus chapter three, verse seven, where we read, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them. The people cried out to God because of the oppression of their taskmasters, and we know the story in Exodus, but God says, I've seen, I've heard, I know, and I have come down to deliver you. And you're groaning tonight, and God sees you, And God knows, and he has come down to answer you in his perfect time. It shows us that God is a seeing God, and that he is a hearing God, and he is a knowing God, and that he is a delivering God. In Acts chapter 9, verse 11, we read, And the Lord said unto him, that is Ananias, arise and go into the street, which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. The Lord said to Ananias, go to Saul. And God knew the name of the street, the street called Straight. God knew the name of the person who owned the house, that's Judas, and God knew Saul's name and where he was from and that he was praying. And so you take a drive, you go for a walk, you're by your bedside tonight and your knees hit the floor and God knows the street that you live on, the address of your home, your name, where you're from and that you're praying. And I know we know that, but it's a good thing to be encouraged in that very often. When we pray, we need to remember that God knows, that God cares, and that he is a personal God. He's not a far off, distant God. And that as we pray and that as we sojourn through this world and wait with patient hope for heaven's glory, we not only can pray and the privilege of prayer, but we have this promise that we read tonight. You notice there in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. A literal reading of this is to the ones who love God, he works all things together unto good. And Paul wrote this. And here was a man that was beaten, that was shipwrecked, that was stoned, that was just, I mean, sleepless nights with his concern for the church and you read through the book of Acts, you read through the epistles, and you realize this man went through a lot in his life. And at the end of the day, he could say all things work together for good. Though not all things that Paul experienced appeared to be good, yet Paul could write by the Spirit of God, all things work together for good. And we need to remember that God has allowed all things into our lives and he's allowed it, that he has a good purpose for those things he has allowed into our lives. The question is, is this promise for everybody? And the answer is no, because you see there in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. If you love him, then all things work together for good. Not some things, not one thing in isolation, but all things work together for good. I had the opportunity of uh, joining a a group of kids up to the mountains for uh, a youth camp. We had a beautiful time, but one of the nights during one of the evening sessions when it was dark, a couple of the kids didn't feel well and they were sick and so, they had to go down to the nurses' quarters and so I'm there as one of the counselors and I had to, you know, it's the message, I had to do this and go to this and all of a sudden this and this and then what's this kid and this kid and all of a sudden. So these kids started getting sick and another sick, another sick, another sick, another sick, and then they're saying, What's going on? I had to walk him down to the infirmary, this nurse is there, and his counselor's going here, the counselor's going here, and here and here. I just think, what's going on? So I take a group of kids, go down to where the nurse's station is. I see another counselor right there and I have to tell that individual, okay, now these kids are sick and everything. And so I'm standing there waiting to talk with the counselor. That counselor's talking to somebody else a part of the camp. I'm standing there at night wondering what's going on. I'm standing right outside this building. It's a giant conference center. So they have conferences for kids and adults and I'm standing right outside this building and this building has one of those flat screen TVs on the outside that is a live stream of the service inside. So you can watch from the outside what's going on inside. So I'm watching the worship. I'm watching the worship. Worship's over. Person's still talking. And the guy stands up behind the podium he gets up there. And I'm like, all right, what's, what's he going to say? You know? Gotta be something. I'm here tonight to tell you that Jesus never fails. And he said a few things, but when he said that, I I couldn't comprehend what he said next. And then he said, I'm here tonight to tell you that Jesus never fails. And he broke me. He broke me to a place where I can say to you tonight, he never fails. And I'm standing there and, and the condition of my heart, the condition of my life, God knew I needed to hear that from him through that man. And that man may never know that what he said to that night changed my life. But the thing is God had to work Not an isolated thing, but all things, and this, and this, and this, and this, to move me from there to here, to stand there with that conversation, to hear what that man said. My son mentioned this today, and he said it in passing, but about camels. And now you're wondering, where's this guy gonna go with camels? I would wonder that too. In fact, I am wondering that. No, I know where I'm going. It's okay. You ever just look at Joseph in the pit? God orchestrated the pace of those camels. He knew when those camels would pass by there and the Midianite uh, travelers Those traders that would take Joseph and buy Joseph and sell, God perfectly orchestrated that situation. I mean, how fast does a camel walk? But God knew if they leave here and they travel here, they get to here, Joseph's here, they take Joseph here and they bring him here, and all things work together for good. And that's a promise if we love God We can put our confidence in tonight, no matter what it is. If you love him and if you are the called according to his purpose, then you can say that one thing and this one thing. However, he sees to do it, he'll work it together for good. Because he has a plan and he has a purpose. And we're confident that the work that God has begun in us, he will complete and he will not forsake the work of his hands. What is God's purpose for our lives? I always love asking that question. Why Why are we here? What's God aiming at? And we notice there in verse 29, for whom he foreknew... So God, knowing in advance who would respond to his grace and his love, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and he begins a work inside of you, conforming you to the image of his son. See, God's purpose is to make his children just like his son. I read this the primary work of the and purpose of God the Holy Spirit in dwelling the life of every believer is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. What was Jesus Christ like? There's three things I want to consider tonight. He lived his life to do the will of God. He lived his life by grace through faith trusting in and depending on God's provision for his every need. And Jesus Christ, while he was on this earth, was fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit in his life and in his ministry. We read in John chapter 8, for I always do those things that please him. And in Luke chapter 22, nevertheless not my will, but thy will be done. In Psalm 22, the Psalm of Crucifixion, the Messianic Psalm, the prophetic Psalm of Crucifixion, we read this in verse 19 But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, my strength. Hasten to help me. He's there on that cross, and he's crying out to God the Father to be his strength to provide the grace and his supply of power in that situation. And we read in Isaiah chapter 49 verses 5 and 8, and my God shall be my strength. And the Lord speaking, in an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you. Jesus could, going back to the book of Isaiah, based upon what Isaiah said here, know that the Lord would hear him, help him, and preserve him. And Jesus also lived his life fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We see that in Isaiah chapter 11. But looking at Luke chapter 3, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Luke chapter 4, and Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus quoting Isaiah 61 The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. And then my favorite, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with Him. See, God desires to conform us into the image of His Son, and above all, the more excellent way of love, yes, produced by the Holy Spirit living inside of us and through us as we yield to Him. But these three things tonight, God desires to bring our wills into harmony with His will, that we would say in a situation, God, not my will, but thy will be done. And God desires to bring us into a place where we live by grace through faith, trusting in God's provision for our every need and living by faith, trusting in him. And that just that beautiful, rich life of dependence upon the Holy Spirit where we say not by might nor by power, but by God's spirit as we yield our lives to him and ask him to live in us, to live through us. Now, how do we do that? It's a big thing, right? How do I become more like Jesus? There was that wristband, you know, a few years back, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And so you're thinking, okay, I'm in a situation at the supermarket. I got cut off by somebody's shopping cart. I don't know exactly what to do here. What would Jesus do? Okay, let's go through the index file. Jesus would. What would Jesus do in this situation? And so it almost led to an imitation. Let me think about what Jesus would do here, and I'll do that here as well. I was thinking, what would Jesus do? But rather, how would Jesus do it? And that's in the power of God's Spirit, seeking to do the will of God, dependent upon the grace of God and trusting in God to supply for him what he needed in a situation. And we read, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as we yield to the Holy Spirit and His promptings within our lives, He begins to work within us that unceasing, tireless work of God the Holy Spirit in our lives, conforming us into the image of His Son. And we see there in verse 29, so that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And Jesus is the firstborn, meaning first in rank or honor, and will be the one who has the supreme place of honor among us. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now here Paul is writing from the past into the future. God's gracious work of grace in our lives. God chose us. God called us. God justified us. And notice God speaks of our glorified state in heaven in the past tense. These he also glorified. So God already sees us our glorified bodies with him in heaven. In verse 31, what shall we say to these things? God has provided for us the Holy Spirit to help. God has provided his grace to transform us into the image of his son. God has done so much for us. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and you're here tonight, God is for you. No matter what you're facing tonight, God is for you. I think of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and... You should walk up to Job. I mean, just, Job, God's for you. If you look at your life tonight, and you're in an ash heap, and you're looking for just a shod of pottery, and you're just thinking, if I could just scrape myself to where the pain is gone, whatever happened to this thing called life, is it really supposed to be like this? You pull back the curtain, and you see that, God allowed Satan to go after Job, but it was only through God's hand. And whatever comes into your life, it has to pass through his hand, through God's hand. And that hand is for you. That hand is not against you. That all-powerful All knowing, all wise, never erring, all present, self existent, sovereign creator of the universe is for you. I mean, think about the one who is behind this promise, what he has to do in order to accomplish this. He is faithful in all things, but who is he and what is he like? It says in Genesis that he created the heavens and the earth. He says in Job, how would you like the job of guiding Octurus? Octurus is a star. It's larger than our own sun and travels at about 12 thousand miles per second does he know what he's doing yes he does is he in control yes he is can we rest in him yes we can my favorite constellation is the constellation Orion and if you look at the constellation the left shoulder of Orion is known as Betelgeuse. And this beetle geese is roughly 400 to 600 million miles in diameter. If you could hollow out the center of beetle geese, leaving a crust of 100 miles thick, you could put the sun in the middle of beetle geese and let the earth rotate around it and have some 100 to 200 million miles to spare. And David wrote, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers. God guides the galaxies. How much more will he guide you if you ask him to? See, God is for us. But then the question is, well, who can be against us? Well, the world is against us. Our flesh is against us, and the devil is against us. What Paul is saying here is that they are no match for God. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But how do we know that God is for us? How do we know? Give me something tangible. Give me something that he has done to show me that he is for me. Because there's a lot in life and there's a lot in this world that does not make sense. But if I can look at something and say, that's what God did. And that's what God did to prove his love and to prove his love for me and that he is for me. It will silence everything else that comes my way. And the answer there is in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. For God so loved the world that he gave God loves us so much that he did not spare his only son. But why did he do it? But why did Jesus Christ hang on that cross? I want to know. And I won't be satisfied until I know. And I thought, this might help. Jesus came in order that men might be united with God. Sin had created a breach or a barrier between man and God. Sin had separated man from God. And so Jesus came to give his life a ransom for sin in order that man might again know fellowship with God to once again be brought back into the very purpose of our creation and that is to know God and fellowship with God and walk with God. And that's why he hung there. Because he wants fellowship with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to bring these things into our lives for what purpose? That we would know who he is and his faithfulness and his kindness and his character and his nature and his love that we would uh, get to know him in a greater way. Verse 32 again. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? He gave us his very best in the gift of his son. He gave us the gift of his son in the incarnation. He gave us the gift of his son at his death the gift of his son at the resurrection, as Jesus Christ conquered sin and conquered death. And Paul is saying here, if God gave us his greatest gift, how much more shall he freely give us, those words of grace, all things? Is there any lesser gift that God would not give to us knowing that it's the best thing for us according to his wisdom and to his power and to his love in matthew chapter 6 we read for your heavenly father knows what you need of before you even ask but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you and philippians chapter 4 verse 19 but my god shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And if you have a need tonight, and you're overwhelmed by that need, remember the greater gift. And if God was not reluctant in giving his greater gift, how much more will he give you what you need when you need it? I have a friend, he, he travels the world and I just like saying that because I don't, and he does, and I I think it's the greatest thing in the world for him. But he travels everywhere, and so he was in one of the states, and he'll make his way all around the world. And you text him, and you know you find out where he's at, and he'll you, you know, send you pictures and videos and all that. So he goes in this bagel shop in some place, and some guy from New York went down south, opened up a bagel shop, and the guy's a Christian, everything, and he walks in to get his bagel starts talking to the guy and says yeah I'm a Christian Christian all right, great you know and the guy just says to him 11 59 59 my buddy's like is that something on the menu 11 59 59 it's close to midnight 11 59 59 see God never is early he's never late He's right on time. That's close to midnight in some of our lives. And we have that need. Does God know how fast Arcturus is going right now? Is he able to navigate that star? Yes, he is. Does he see our lives and know exactly where we are tonight? Yes, he does. Is he cognizant of Betelgeuse? Yes, he is. Does he guide the stars in the Milky Way? Knows them all by name? Yes, he does. But rent just went up. Yes, it did. Does he know? Yes, he does. And my gas bill just went up. Yes, it did. Does he know? Yes, he does. And my Edison bill just went up. Yes, it did. And my internet bill just went up. Yes, it did. How many bills does this guy have? I got, you know, but just like you, is God going to take care of this thing? Yes, he will. And we trust him too. And I love what Paul says here. Shall, oh, how shall he not? There's only four words, but would you find it there for me in verse 32? How shall he not? The words of unbelief, how shall he How shall he? I I just think I'm going to start saying this from now on. How shall he not? When the bill comes in the mail, how shall he not? He gave me his son. How much more shall he give me all things? How shall he not? The words of faith. God knows he's in control. He'll take care of it. He's not reluctant to help us. He wants to come to our assistance tonight. And he wants to give us what is best for us. Is God angry with you? Is he condemning you? Is he charging you with your sin? Your past? What you did? How you lived? Where you lived? What you did? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 33. And the idea is no one. Because. It is God who justifies. At that cross. When Jesus died for our sins. There are two main things that took place. We receive forgiveness. When we put our faith in him. And we're born again. So God declares us not guilty and then he justifies us he gives us he imputes to us his righteousness and there's and we've heard this before justified just as if i had never sinned it's as though it never happened my past life your past life under the grace of God it does not exist before God when Jesus Christ died on that cross Christ became our life and no matter what you did no matter where you were no matter the mess you've made of your life. God is reaching out to you tonight to forgive and to wash and to cleanse and to restore and to give you a whole new life by his spirit, if you would simply receive it and ask him to. Who is he who condemns no one because it is Christ who died there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus god is not condemning you in romans chapter 5 verse 10 for if we when, when we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life when we were enemies of God, when we were ungodly, when we were children of wrath, when we hated him, he still loved us. I always wonder what heaven was doing when I was shaking my fist at God. What were the angels doing? What was God doing? Was he angry? No, he's love. Was he condemning? No, there was compassion. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn, to forgive. We have to remember that he still loves the world. He didn't just send his son to die for the world back then And for us today, he died for the world, the world today. God, give us a love for this world and not to condemn it. He didn't come into this world to condemn, but to forgive and to wash and to cleanse If people wanted him to, he took the basin, took the towel, knelt down as a servant, did what nobody else would do. The dirty, stinky, filthy feet, walking in the streets, walking in the streets, walking in the stuff that's in the streets. And he knelt down. The Son of God, who knew what it was like to see angels, because he created them, but he was up there, to share in the glory of the Father before the foundation of the world and to have a love relationship with the triune Godhead, he kneels down and he washes feet because he knows that humanity needs a cleansing and a washing from the sin and from the guilt and from the shame and from the condemnation. And he wants to give his love and he wants to give restoration and he wants to give himself to you tonight in a way where you could look at him and say, I still don't comprehend the width and the depth, the length and the height of his love, but I know in a different way that he loves me still and he is for me and that he will never fail. And he died. But Paul says he's also risen and is at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us. Where do you see Jesus? Is he on that cross? He was. Where do you see Jesus? Was he buried? He was. Where do you see Jesus, right? He is right now in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying for you tonight. He knows, he cares, he hears, he understands, and he has come down to Deliver. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Before the foundation of the world, God loved you. I always have a fun time with my son. I will walk around and, You know, it would be a nice grassy field with a house. And I think, you know, how many thousands of years ago, do you think a dinosaur walked right here? What part of history was taking place, you know, right here when Jesus was over there? What do you think was happening on this campus before it was a campus? Did dinosaurs roam through here? What was taking place here when Jesus was over there? What was taking place here in Thousand Oaks? When, when God said light be and light was, he loved you. Before this globe took form, he loved you. Before all of it, he loved you. When you were ungodly, he loved you. When you were at war with him, he loved you. When you were in rebellion against him, he loved you. When you were wallowing in filth, he loved you. Which I know from me, is what saved me. Had I heard anything different, in the condition and in the state that I was in, I wanted to know if there was a physician who wouldn't scathe me for all that I had done wrong, but to rightly diagnose me and say there is sin and you need forgiveness. And that's only found in Jesus Christ. And he will justify you as though You never sinned. Your past life doesn't exist to God. And you can experience a life where you can say, not my will, but thy will. You can say, God, I want the fullness of your Holy Spirit. And God, you are my strength for whatever I face. And come what may in this life, no matter what happens to us in this life, nothing And just think about a few things right now. But nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, or sword, speaking of execution. Would that separate us from the love of God? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Morgan writes this, thus we are reminded of the fact that those who are the people of God are called upon to endure suffering for which there is no explanation at the time and certainly none in their own disloyalty. Such sufferings are part of the high and holy privilege of fellowship with God. And no matter what you're facing tonight, nothing shall separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As one author writes, if we are the Lord's, then no power on earth or in heaven or in hell can separate us from the everlasting love of God and prevent his bringing us into his eternal presence. These external circumstances just serve to usher and bring us into the presence of the one who loves us and into the arms of the one whom we love. And in verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And being more than a conqueror means to have the victory even in the midst of the battle. It's to know that right now, God will see you through. It's to know that right now, God is for you. It's to know that right now, no matter what you're facing, God is on the throne and he knows and he cares and he will deliver you. the victory comes not by looking within, not by looking to ourself. There's no strength within us. There's nothing within us but failure. Victory comes by looking at Him. The battle belongs to the Lord. He is mighty. He is victorious. He is King. And He is the Lord of Lords. And we can rest in that, confident that the commander of the host of all the armies of heaven is for us and on our side. When author writes, we not only conquer in spite of them, we conquer all the more because of them. God's love for us will never fail. His love for us remains constant and unchanging. His love for you will never stop. No matter what you've done or who you are, He'll always love you. His love for us is active, it's personal, it's thoughtful. And it can't fail. His love is pure, his love is strong. It overcomes our weaknesses and our failures. And there's an amazing magnitude and vastness of God's love that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us tonight. And to open our hearts that we would receive once again in a fresh way what it was like to be saved. To come to these truths that we have maybe read a thousand times, but to breathe new life into them. You can't just pass it off and say, yeah, 828, I know all things, but think about it. Meditate upon that. The God behind that promise oversees the stars oversees the galaxies, oversees the world, oversees 8 billion people right now and is pleading with every single one of them by the Holy Spirit to come back to Him. What great love. There's an old hymn, and I like it. It goes like this. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And you just picture that. You go down to Malibu, Zuma Beach, the vastness of the Pacific is all ink. Somebody took a bunch of pens, you know, and cracked them open. There's ink everywhere. Can't go swimming. But there's ink. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And where the skies of parchment made, and you see the ink, and then you look up, and the skies become a scroll to parchment, piece of paper. Where every stalk on earth a quill, and you go over to a piece of grass, it's a pen. And every man a scribe by trade. Imagine if all of us were scribes, poets. We had linguistic ability that would just. Flatter Shakespeare. And we were to write over, walk over to that ocean and dip in the quill and get up there onto some scaffolding and write in the sky. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretch from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And God, make that our song that we sing tonight and throughout the week. How shall he not God is for me. And His everlasting love in Jesus Christ has set me free from self, from sin, from death, from the grave, and brought me back to the very purpose of my creation to have fellowship with God, and to know God, and to love God, and to get to know the grace of God, and trusting in Him, asking for the fullness of God's Spirit, walking with Him. Enjoying his presence as I sojourn through this world and one day to enter into heaven's glory. To look into the very eyes of the one who loves us. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of knowing you. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer. That we can come to you tonight, Lord, and lift up our hearts to you and those groans, God, that you know we're about to groan, and those sighs that we're about to sigh. Knowing, Lord, that you know that we, above all things, want your will, your good and your perfect and acceptable will done in our lives, come what may, that we want your will done in our lives gone that one day when we stand before you we can hear from you and from your heart and from your lips well done thou good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the lord and father if there's anyone here tonight and they look at themselves and they see their hearts it's evil and black and just desperately wicked and they say could Go a God up there, love me and forgive me. The answer is yes, you can. And he desires to and he wants to, and he wants to wash you clean and bring you back into his family and love you in a way you've never been loved and hold you in a way you've never been held and give you a peace that passes all understanding. Know that all things work together for good because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.